We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Matson. I'll be joined shortly by Chris Biederman. Special episode of Candlestick Chronicles today. We've been going guest heavy leading up to the draft and letting NFL and draft experts uh, help inform our conversations today. It's JT O'Sullivan, former 49ers quarterback. Now you can find him on YouTube. Uh, the quarterback school, the QB school is actually what it's called. Search that on YouTube. It is where basically anything I learned about this quarterback class, I learned from JTO's YouTube channel. He is an excellent interview. Chris connected with him on Wednesday, and they had a really, really great chat about the entire quarterback class. They talked about Trey Lance's pro readiness, why Justin Fields is actually O'Sullivan's number one quarterback prospect, and why Mac Jones is actually behind Kellen Mond in his pre-draft rankings. Super interesting, super in-depth conversation. That's coming up right now. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. All right, everybody, welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. Uh, my name is Chris Biederman. I have with me a very special guest, former NFL quarterback, former 49ers quarterback, J.T. O'Sullivan, a guy who's been making the rounds and doing a great job breaking down these all these quarterbacks in, up in the NFL draft. You can check him out at the uh, the QB School on YouTube. Some great content over there. J.T., how's it going, man? What's up, man? What, what's going on? We got anything big this week? A little draft or something? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been fun. I'm having fun with this. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this thing shakes out here to start this thing off. And I'm just kind of, we're all along for the ride at this point. Yeah. So I, I you know, reporting on the 49ers, obviously it, it sounds like it's going to be Mac Jones and we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So obviously that could change by the time the pick is made, but Mac Jones is very much a polarizing prospect. There are some people that think he has some Drew Brees in him, uh, maybe some Matt Ryan in him and that he's a perfect Kyle Shanahan type quarterback. I know he is not ranked uh, that highly ac- according to you. I think you have him sixth in this class. What, why is that, that you have him that low in comparison to the other guys? And do you see any of those Drew Breesian qualities in him that might appeal to Kyle Shanahan? I mean, well, there's a few things in there. I, I think I have him at six just because I think that there are five guys that project better than him, you know, across the board. I think that maybe the ceilings are a little bit higher on other 
prospects. Nothing away from Mac, nothing to take away from Mac Jones. He had an amazing year. He really did. It was, I enjoyed watching the Alabama offense. I thought he brought a new dimension to that offense that was already really good. So there's a lot to like. If Mac Jones is the pick, I just, when you look across the landscape of the other guys at the top of it, I feel like they collectively, each one of them brings a little bit something more to the table. You know, no offense to Drew Brees, but Drew Brees was a second round pick. You know, it, it's, it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be a very successful Hall of Fame player. It just means that when you look across the landscape of the other draft eligible players, that I think that they bring, whether it's, you know, a little bit more athleticism, a little bit uh, broader, deeper catalog of intercollegiate athletic experience, uh, play, arm talent, all of the, really all of the above. Uh, that's that's kind of why he falls there for me. And I, I just don't, it doesn't make sense for me that that's the pick. I know that's always been the whispers and it feels like it's getting louder and louder, but, you know, I, I just don't see it when I turn on the film. And that's really all I do. You know, they, these NFL teams have the luxury of sitting down with these guys, and zooming and talking to the coaches. I'm just looking at the film. And when I look at the film, there are other guys that I think are, are bring more to the position than Mac Jones does. Yeah. So, so with Mac, one thing that that's interesting to me is, is the talk about anticipation and the processing and his ability to read defenses and that maybe he could make up for his lack of athleticism with his mind and with the things he does pre-snap and post-snap. Are, are you able to identify those things on film and, and how do you, how do you isolate those variables when, when you look at, all right, he's not the most athletic guy, but he, but does he or doesn't he do some things that can make up for that lack of athleticism just by the way he thinks about the game? Yeah. And I, I mean, th- those would be things that when we sat down with him in like a interview situation, that's something that we could tease out a lot easier than just looking at the film. I think for the film, it's almost like you look at it as a disqualifier. So if you don't see any shows that throw up with anticipation, then you think, Maybe, you know, first, I think the system isn't asking him to do that because I think you can teach anticipation. So I teach high school kid. We have a kid who is a sophomore who throws with anticipation. So it's a it's a teachable learned skill is the first thing I think. The next thing I think is, you know, what are they, exactly are they asking him to do? Because there are some systems where, you know, if it, the quarterback is running power read or zone read, well, they might not be doing like the biggest play action shots down the field and throwing check downs like Mac Jones throws. And so just because someone's doing it and it shows up on film doesn't mean that they can't do it. You know, that's the first thing that I think of when I see it. I think Alabama does a really good job at everything. So anybody you see on there is going to be more better coached, more refined in their skill set than you would see at most other schools. And that's just because the level of coaching that they get there. And that's across all positions. That's not a knock against guys that come out of Alabama. That's just the truth. Like they do it at a higher level. And so for me, when I see him, throwing checkdowns or getting through reads, quote unquote, getting through reads. I see other guys at the top of the draft also getting through reads. So I don't really understand the processing thing. You know, again, maybe he just gets in the, uh, in these meetings and it's just the smartest person in the room and everyone else, you know, can sense it and feel it. But when you watch the film, you see everybody at the top of the draft making throws with anticipation. You see everybody getting through reads and throwing checkdowns. Now it might be more consistent, because Alabama might do more play action shots down the field where if it's not there, you throw a check down as opposed to an RPO game where it's a horizontal stretch and Trevor Lawrence is throwing bubble screen. And so it just depends on the system. You got to be able to, again, for me, that's the hard part for a lot of people where it's like, you got to disassociate as someone who I'm not tethered to an organization and fit. You know, I think a lot of organizations are like, does this fit what we do? And for me, it's like, I'm just looking at just what the film says, just what the film shows. And I think everybody those top four or five guys, even Trey Lance, you know, with a limited catalog of college film, has anticipation throws. And so that, that to me is not a differentiator in this, in this kind of draft process with those top tier guys. So you look at just the trend in the league, right? And there are a whole lot of young quarterbacks, strong arm quarterbacks who can make plays outside of structure when, when things break down. Do you see that as a trend that coaches are sort of gearing towards, or is it that trend just because those guys are talented, they're the most talented guys coming into the league, and then coaches are just sort of reacting accordingly? I'm asking because I'm trying to figure out, you know, you look back in recent drafts, and there haven't been a whole lot of just pure quote-unquote pocket passers that have had success who have gotten drafted early. And I'm wondering if that's a trend because the league is going that way from a philosophical standpoint, or if it's just going that way because there, there just aren't 
those type of high-level pocket passers coming out? I would probably push back a little bit on a few different edges there. The first thing I would say is the game has evolved. So better players at younger levels, better athletes are playing quarterback. And that wasn't always the case. You know, the traditional, you know, pocket passer is usually traditional code for not great athlete. You know, probably wouldn't have played tailback. Where now younger players who would have played tailback or middle linebacker are now saying, you know what? I'll touch the ball every play. Thank you very much. I'll be the quarterback. Yes, please. And so that element of the game has changed at lower levels. It trickles up. And now we're starting to see the ramifications, the bones of that, uh, the roots of that in the league. And so that's the first part. The other part that I think really impacts it is are the rules. So it's a safer game for the quarterback. They protect the quarterback. Not that the quarterback was ever, you know, the most dangerous position in the world. But as far as the hit, the low hit, the late hit, the high hit, all those things allow you to be a little bit more dynamic out of the pocket where before it was like, yo, you better slide. You know, you better take care of yourself. You better protect yourself. You know, I think I always think of Drew Bledsoe on the sideline. You know, that hit where that puts Brady in the game never happens nowadays. You know, it just doesn't happen. And so it's a, it's a combination of the rules, the athleticism of the position. I think the position is coached better uh, at lower levels. I think there's more information available. And I think that the game on the Sundays looks a lot more like Saturdays, you know, and, and I don't think that that was always the case. I always think for a long time, it was like, well, you got to learn to play under center. You got to learn to play like they do in the league. Well, now the information is available. Everybody knows what everybody's running. It's better at lower levels. And so you're starting to see the kind of fruits of that uh, consistently with younger players coming in, playing at a high level earlier. I think it's great for the game. I, I think it's a lot of fun. So one guy that seem, seems to be getting passed over uh, by a lot of teams, I guess, if, if you believe, you know, the speculation leading into the draft, who also happens to be your number one ranked quarterback in this class is Justin Fields. Um, why do you think we are where we are with Fields in that, uh, you know, people are taught are, don't seem to be talking about him with, within these top three picks and what is everybody missing in your opinion? I think people are missing a lot. You know, I, I think that you alluded to it a little bit earlier as younger players coming into the league, big arms, athletic, can make plays. And that's, that's Justin Fields. He's, he might not be the tallest, but he's the most explosive. He's the fastest. He's shown to me, you know, the things, the other things that I love are just the toughness. You know, that's one thing about the position that I think is really hard to not grade, evaluate is the intangibles of you're going to get smoked. You're going to get smoked. You know, hit hard, not play at 100%. Can you do that? And I think, you know, all he did was take down the quote-unquote number one guy on national stage. And so, for me, all those things point towards I just think he's the best of the best. Now, there are really good players. There's a there's four or five guys that could be the number one pick in other drafts and that we're just fortunate this round to have this many guys at the top. And so, you know, I, I think people also, you know, you fall into the thing where a lot of quote-unquote experts have a hard time disassociating the institution from the prospect. And when you look at Ohio State, you look at the history of the most recent quarterbacks to come out of there, they've struggled in the league. And so now, oh, is it something to do with what they're doing? Are they teaching something there? And that, I think all that's a crock on a number of different levels. And so for me, when I'm just looking at the film, just looking at the players, I like Justin Fields the best. And Trevor Lawrence is a very special player. And he's going to be, I would imagine, if he gets past the Urban Meyer experiment in Jacksonville, it's going to be fine. It's going to be a struggle. You know, it's a, it's, when you get picked first or first couple of picks, you're going to the worst organization, usually. And so when you see a guy, I think that's why the number three pick is so fascinating this round, because it's not a bottom feeder organization right now. They're close to winning, and that's a great opportunity. Whoever goes there is really the winner of the draft. What do you what do you think when you hear things like you know he's he's an he has something weird going on with his elbow in his release and he's a long strider does I mean obviously that's not preventing you or you don't agree with it because you're not that's not preventing you from or that's not having you drop him from his rank from the number one spot in your rankings what what do you make of just the talk about his throwing motion and maybe that he takes too long of a stride I don't think about it uh, I mean I honestly nowadays with the biomechanics element and how you can break down these throwing mechanisms in 3D and all the tools that are available to these players, really young, even, you know, when they're coming up through the recruiting process, you know, at this point, you can either throw it or you can't throw it. Like it might not be the fastest release in the world. I personally don't think it's that long of a release. You know, I've never sat there with a time watch either, and I've never seen him in person, but just from looking at it on film, I have no problem with the release. 
at all. I've never heard the long strider thing before. I think you could get into the semantics for everybody, you know, except maybe Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's upper body mechanics are, are pretty flawless on a number of different levels. But I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence, if you're six six, you're gonna be long sometimes. That's just because you're long. You know, it's it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's a blessing and a curse to a certain extent. For me, I just, you know, it's it's maybe not the the cleanest release of the draft, but there's no, you know, to me like Tim Tebow drop the ball below your hip you know, those types of things that will really impact the amount of time it takes for you to get the ball out. I never saw it impact him not being able to fit it into a window that he was trying to throw on in the Big Ten. So with Trey Lance, he's he's sort of the other guy that's that seems to be second, I guess, behind Mac Jones in terms of probability uh, in, in getting drafted third overall tomorrow. Um, how quickly do you think he could adapt to the pro game? Just based on what you see on film, how much of that translates to potentially starting right away versus, you know, maybe needing a year to, to develop behind, behind a veteran? Do you, do you see that, that rawness that he would, uh, need to, need to sit a year or, or do you think he could potentially be advanced enough that he could start from week one? I think he could come right in and play from the first practice, first huddle, uh, to me, I think Trey Lance, and you alluded to it a little bit, it's because a combination of things. For me, it's recency bias of, you know, watching Zach Wilson, Mac Jones have great recent seasons. He didn't play or he did like a showcase game, whatever. Uh, people are always going to tag the lower level of competition at the FCS. I love their program, North Dakota State, the buys that do it right on a number of different levels. I personally think that it's he's had the biggest kind of COVID impact just because you don't you didn't get to see the growth because the growth from when he started in what would have been 2019 through that first season, when he was at the end of the season, he was playing at a much higher level. They were asking him to do more things. He was already playing well early, but it would have been great to see that kind of growth. And the only people that are seeing that are the NFL teams who get a chance to visit with him, see him in person, all those types of things. And so I'm really just speculating, but when it comes to what he showed two years ago versus what, if he stayed on that trajectory of improvement, he would absolutely be in the conversation for the pick. I think he'd be an exciting pick. I think he's a dynamic, special athlete, and that if he continues to improve, like he improved that one-year plan, he absolutely has a chance to be a very special player in the league for a long time. So moving to, to a little bit of a different subject, you have one of my favorite takes on just the draft as a whole just being a weird concept, right? Like rewarding teams uh, who are bad with the best players and that more than likely plays into a lot of the the top 10 quarter or a lot of quarterbacks drafted in the top 10 not living up to their potential because of their surroundings. Could you just uh, explain that take where it comes from and and um you know what the problems with the draft in in your opinion? I mean to me it's just a very un-American model. At the end of the day, I think I was probably ignorant to it up until I got a chance to get a more European model about how I got to go over there for NFL Europe and see how the club operates. And in America, it's complicated because of how athletics are tethered to education, which is not the international model for most education and athletics. You're usually bounded by the club you grew up around. So you grow up around whatever, the Sacramento insert, whatever, and that's who you cheer for. That's who you grow up cheering for. That's when you play in their youth program, that's who you play for. And so then you have to basically get bought out from that club. And so you're never in a draft situation where you are rewarding the worst with the best. And so it just doesn't make sense where, hey, congratulations, you're the best this year. You're going to go to the worst team. They would never do that in uh, international soccer, different, anything outside of America. And so I just, I personally don't understand it. I think it does complicate the stories around so many players. That, you know, why is he a bust? Well, maybe he went to the worst organization that was in a dumpster fire, you know, for half a decade and he caught the tail end of the ashes. You, know, you don't have a chance. So much of it, and I think this is where people struggle with this and I struggle with it too, even going through it. A lot of it is luck. You know, you have to get into the right situation. You got to be surrounded by the right talent, the right coaches, be put in a position to be successful and then you have to be healthy enough to sustain it. But I just never, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't see it anywhere else in our society where we kind of penalize the best to go to the worst. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to ask you uh, who you put to put your GM hat on and who you would take at number three, assuming uh, Trevor Lawrence goes first, Zach Wilson goes second. I'm going to assume it's Justin Fields. Um, 
so if it if it's Fields, explain why. And if and if you had a, a runner up to Fields, who would that guy be? Yeah, it would be Fields and then Trey Lance. And really, the reason that I, it's a clean separator for me is just because I don't have enough information about Trey Lance. If I felt uh, uh, if I had a little bit better contextual idea of where he's at right now, and if he stayed on the same path that he was at, showing improvement wise, I think it would be a very difficult decision. And I'm going to guess that that's kind of where they're at. You know, just it's kind of looking from the outside in. Now, if it's Mac Jones, then, you know, I think they, they obviously see something that most people don't see. But Justin Fields, for me, is I just love what he brings to the position. I love the collective body of traits. And what I mean by that is he can make every throw. He's the fastest. He's shown the toughness. He's shown the ability to kind of lead bigger bodies than just the team where he's been the face of the Big Ten, getting a chance to play, was able to step up and talk to, you know, prestigious academic presidents, chancellors, those types of things, to me matters when you're talking about an influence maker in a locker room. And I think that would resonate with NFL. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I just think, you know, he's uh, he's separated himself in that regard. I don't understand how that isn't clear across the board. I know that other guys have had great years, and I, he certainly had some plays that are head scratchers. But, you know, get in line. Everybody does. And so, to me, it's always projecting who's going to have the biggest impact the longest. And for me, it's Justin Fields. All right. Well, I think that's all I got for you. Really want to uh, thank you for for taking the time out. I'd imagine uh, you could use a breather from talking about all these quarterbacks with all the various podcasts and radio hits you've done. So, JT, thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon around the way. Yeah, my pleasure. We'll circle back after the big decision. Absolutely. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Let me just say off top, J.T. O'Sullivan is really excellent at interviews yeah I, and he's really I think, good on his youtube channel but the way he translates that into interviews is very impressive to me i could see him being on tv in yes. that dan orlovsky role but not like i like dan orlovsky but you know like dan orlovsky is like very high energy and yelling and, and stuff like that <laughs> you said it not me um and i could see jt o'sullivan being the the sort of calm antithesis while also providing really valuable insight um, but no, you said it in the intro. Like, I think JT O'Sullivan, um, has a really good grasp on how these guys play. Uh, just on, just judging the film, what they're good at, what their weaknesses are. I think he's, he's got a pretty unbiased look and, and he's, he's looked at their complete games. And right. so I really value his opinion, um, as, you know, he's, he coaches, you know, he coaches quarterbacks, albeit at the high school level, but obviously somebody who, Went through the ringer playing at UC Davis and, and making it all the way to the NFL. He's somebody who's been through it and knows what it takes. Um, so I do value his opinion, even though a lot of what he says confirms what I believe. And there's an element of confirmation bias there for sure for me. Um, but I think his points on Mac Jones are really, are, are really valid. 
Mm-hmm. And if and when the 49ers take Mac Jones, I think it's very fair to, to question the entire process. Uh, because like I said in, in the podcast that we did earlier this week, I think it's a super faulty process if you trade three mm-hmm. first-round picks to move up to three just to get the chance to evaluate you know, Justin Fields and Trey Lance unencumbered only to take the guy that you probably could have gotten at six, maybe, you know, seven or eight, uh, and not have to give up three first round picks in that trade. Like I just find that value to be a really bad process. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can talk about Jimmy Garoppolo too, and his role in this. Uh, but I, you know, I, I have reason to believe it's going to be Mac Jones, but it also, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Kyle Shanahan changes his mind before Thursday. I think for it not to be Mac Jones on Thursday, we're recording this Wednesday night now, um, for it not to be Mac Jones, I think it would have to take a change of heart from Kyle Shanahan. And so that could happen, but I'm not expecting it to happen. So we'll just have to see. Um, but no, really great stuff from, from JT. And uh, I would highly encourage everybody to check out his channel. The way I go about evaluating draft prospects, and by the way, one time, could you let me ask a question on one of those interviews? <laughs> and Peter King, I couldn't get a question in. JT O'Sullivan, I couldn't get a question in. And Mike Sando, I couldn't get a question I know. in. Sorry. So, jerk. Sorry. No. Chris, the, 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 because we know that people like Peter King and Mike Sando and JT O'Sullivan are very busy people, we schedule the interviews for whenever they can do them. And because I don't think I've, I produce a radio show in, in the Bay Area for 95-7 the game. I don't think I've mentioned that before, but I am in an office in San Francisco for much of the day or on a train commuting. So a lot of my day is taken up, which is why Chris does those mm-hmm. interviews solo. Uh, one thing that JT O'Sullivan brought up that I wanted to talk about was Trey Lance's pro readiness. Yeah. Because he seems to think Trey Lance is ready to go right away, which kind of jibes with the idea that, you know, he was doing a lot of pro-style stuff as a 19-year-old redshirt freshman. Yeah. Um, If the 49ers don't think he's ready, how, like, how much do you think pro-readiness factored into their, if Mac Jones is the pick, which it sounds like he is, yeah. how much do you think pro-readiness factored into that? And then if that's the case... Do you think there's a chance that they passed on a project because they wanted to make sure and trade Garoppolo this year? Yeah, I I don't know, but and we will we probably will know very soon, but I would find I I would find the process even more problematic if they if they valued pro readiness in this process to the point where it gave Jones any sort of edge over anybody else. Because you're talking about competing i guess in 2021 with the rookie quarterback versus you know just getting the better player uh and and i think that would be just a an egregious mistake because you know first of all it sounds like the 49ers are going to trade jimmy garoppolo which i don't really have a problem with but you know unless jimmy garoppolo demanded a trade and maybe we'll find that out at some point you know cuz i could see garoppolo not being thrilled with the circumstances with the 49ers right now all things considered um if the 49ers decide on mac jones because he's more ready to contribute in 2021 it's just another layer of a extremely faulty process in my opinion um because to me if just from a pure team building perspective, I think the best scenario for the 49ers, and I know I've said it on here that I think Lance is the guy they should pick, and I think this is true about Justin Fields also. Your best roster, based on all every, all the resources you have and and have devoted into the situation, your best roster is Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, one of the rookies, Trey Lance or Justin Fields, and then whoever else rounding out the quarterback room. That way. You could potentially roll into the season with with Garoppolo, the veteran starter. He could potentially rehab his trade value, and if he does play well like he did in 2019, maybe you get a first-round pick. I don't think if they trade him before the draft is over, they're getting anything more than a third, and I think a third might be lucky. I'm expecting Jimmy Garoppolo to go for a fourth if he gets traded over the next three or four days. And so you would be looking at, if they draft Mac Jones... 
the quarterback room would be Mac Jones, and then you would probably have to find a a veteran backup or maybe draft a second backup, uh, like like Washington did in 2012 when they drafted RG3 and Kirk Cousins. God, that would be so funny. It would be really funny. So, but I, I just think ultimately, if I'm running the team, I think the best way to do it would be to keep Garoppolo. Uh, draft one of these high upside guys and then say, we have an open competition. The best guy is going to win the job and you're going to go into it knowing that you have Jimmy Garoppolo, a veteran who's experienced. And at worst, if your rookie isn't ready to go right away and have you contend for an NFC West title, then you have Garoppolo who's won an NFC West title before and did it winning big games on the road, including week 17 in Seattle where he was, you know, I think people forget how good Jimmy Garoppolo was in that game. Um, Mm -hmm. So here's, here's the deal though. Here's the deal though. If that's the case, uh, if, if they are drafting Jones and, and trading Garoppolo, like uh, uh, let's, let's say that's what's going down because all signs as of 8.53 PM on Wednesday, all signs are kind of pointing toward that. Or if you read the tea leaves, it seems like that's, that's the way the signs are pointing. Given the way the 49ers operated this off season, they operated like a team that was trying to win a Super Bowl this year. And right. that means they think that that Mac Jones is going to step in and be as good or better than Jimmy Garoppolo right away. That's a huge ask for for a rookie quarterback in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan said in his press conference that he talked about the difficulties of playing quarterback and why it's so hard to evaluate quarterbacks and why so many teams miss on quarterbacks because it's the hardest position to play. And so to not have any kind of veteran, proven veteran insurance policy for your rookie in a year where you've signed K1 Williams to a one-year deal, you've signed Chikwaski Tart to a one-year deal, you've signed um, um, DJ Jones. I mean, you, you're the Niners are the, operating as if they're, the championship window is wide open. Right. So Thank you to, for explaining that better than I can. Yeah. So <laughs> to, to your point, it's like it's kind of crazy that like. They're all in on a Super Bowl run while also trading away their veteran and going with a rookie. I just, it's, I, it's I, I truly think, wild stuff. Yeah, I, I just don't think you can operate that way. And for Kyle Shanahan to do that after specifically mentioning the Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith dynamic in 2017 and how well that worked, um, I just, I just find it incredibly faulty to go into the season with with just Mac Jones as your starter, let, let alone, you know, let alone like the evaluation that, you know, the opinions that you and I have formed, right? Like it's, you know, Kyle Shanahan can has ha, is more likely to make a good quarterback decision than we are, frankly. Right. Right. Correct. But the, the issue is the process you're going through to, to get there. It's mm-hmm. trading up to three instead of six. It's, Trading away Jimmy Garoppolo and rolling with Mac, making your your room considerably weaker, and trading Jimmy Garoppolo when his value is at the lowest, it's going to be potentially right. So you know if you keep Garoppolo, I mean I, I just I, I find it just such a more advantageous scenario because you're also dealing with a locker room that, you know like are guys going to be thrilled if Jimmy Garoppolo is just tossed away for a fourth round pick? And then Kyle Shanahan walks into the locker room the first day of training camp and says, all right, Super Bowl journey starts now, and here's our rookie quarterback in a league where a rookie quarterback has never gone to the Super Bowl while we're competing in the toughest division in the NFL with Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, oh, and Matthew Stafford now in the division. Like, the 49ers would be going into it with clearly the worst quarterback in the division and so it just doesn't make sense to me. Whereas what makes perfect sense, in my opinion, is taking Lancer Fields, giving them time to develop under Garoppolo if they don't beat out Garoppolo for the starting job. And you have a really fascinating quarterback battle in training camp. And if the rookie beats out Garoppolo, then trade Garoppolo. I, I right? need to, right. And I need to also, that could be the case with Mac Jones too. Yeah. Maybe Mac Jones comes in and beats out Garoppolo. And just by drafting Fields or Lance, drafting Fields or Lance and also trading Garoppolo would be a bad idea. You're yeah. still having a rookie quarterback going into, as you laid out, 
a really, really tough division. Not not just the quarterbacks, but the defensive players in the division. Like you're dealing with Aaron Donald and Chandler Jones and JJ Watt and and Jamal Adams. Like there's a lot of really good defensive players in the division too. So to that just to that point, it's this is that's not even so much about it being Mac Jones as it is like it just makes way more sense to hang on to Jimmy Garoppolo than to just trade him right away. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know it could be weird in the locker room and whatever, but I, I just I, I I just don't find it to be a good decision making process to trade him while his value is at the lowest. I don't think you have to get him out of there just because you did draft somebody. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a professional to the point where he understands, hey, I'm gonna help this team win and I owe it to my teammates to help this team win. Oh, and if I play well, I'm also going to potentially land land in a situation where I could get another contract yeah. and help ensure my future a little bit better. Whereas, you know, now the Niners just wouldn't be doing Garoppolo any favors, obviously. But, like, the thing I keep coming back to with, with Jones and just what his skill set is, and I said this on the pod, and, and there were, I think there was like 10 or 15 minutes on the pod from from earlier this week that got cut off. Um, and this was a point that, that wasn't on the, the final edition, but when you, when you have just like an average arm and not a whole lot of athleticism, like you're going to go win road playoff games, you know, in Lambeau field, like that, that's the issue I've, you know, Chris Sims talk, talks about Drew Brees, Kyle Shanahan mentioned Drew Brees on Monday. Like that's the issue that people have had with Drew Brees in that. You just worry about the arm strength in the cold. You the when you don't have arm strength, it becomes increasingly more difficult to th- throw passes through smaller windows. And obviously in the NFL those windows are going to be smaller. A secondary point to that is you look at what Mac Jones situation was in Alabama. It was basically perfect, right? It was a perfect scheme, an incredible group of skilled players an elite offensive line, and a running back who might go in the first round on Thursday. Um, The 49ers in three of the last four years have only had sort of ideal circumstances, quote-unquote, in one year, and that was in 2019. They were destroyed by injuries not only to Jimmy Garoppolo, but throughout the roster, right? In 2018 and 2020, the entire roster was banged up. So now, when you take a quarterback who can't move or doesn't have a particularly strong arm or can't throw on the run uh, or make any sort of plays outside of structure, you're going to run into issues. And you're not going to be competitive because I think Mac Jones is the type of quarterback where the scenario around him needs to be perfect for him to be operating at at maximum levels, right? And Mm -hmm. in the NFL, and it's been the case for the 49ers two of the last three years, Jimmy Garoppolo's you know, irrespective of Jimmy Garoppolo's injuries, the Niners roster as a whole has not been in, in a good place. And Mac Jones, to me, does not have the skill set to elevate a roster when you're going through situations like that. And the case that Andy Lou made on this podcast a couple weeks ago, which I continue going back to, is Russell Wilson, who just takes a bad roster and can elevate it over and over again just because he can make plays. He's just a play-making quarterback, and Mac Jones is not that person. And you could say the same thing like Aaron Rodgers, a play-making quarterback. Aaron Rodgers has overcome all sorts of deficiencies on that Packers roster, including a relatively downtrodden group of receivers outside of Devontae Adams. And you see how elite he can be when you, when, you know, you have an elite quarterback in an elite system. It goes to a level where you start, where you feel comfortable being in that championship conversation as opposed to needing everything to go perfect, needing an elite defense, needing your offensive line to stay healthy, needing all of your weapons to stay healthy, which is what the 49ers had in 2019. And Jimmy Garoppolo just wasn't good enough to, to elevate the roster in the way he needed to. And Matt Ryan wasn't good enough a few years earlier either when Kyle Shanahan was in Atlanta. And so it just, I I just, I can't wrap my mind around the logic of it, um, of taking Mac Jones and, and bypassing the opportunity at Trey Lance or Justin Fields and giving up three picks to do so. That to me just just doesn't track the process that they've gone through just doesn't track if Mac Jones ends up being the pick. And if the Niners were smart, frankly, they would just take Justin Fields and Trey Lance even if Kyle Shanahan prefers Mac Jones, and just roll that way. Because what we've seen with smart coaches and talented quarterbacks 
is that's a really potent com- com- combination, even if those guys don't have those very specific traits that Kyle Shanahan looks for, because ultimately I think Kyle Shanahan is massively overthinking this if he ends up with Mac Jones. That's my rant. Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot that one of the most cogent points, and I'm not sure if it's a good or bad thing, but one of the most cogent points on this podcast in the last month has been made by uh, by Andy. Who <laughs> seems I'm, to be taking all this in stride on, oh, on social right media. Right in stride. Cases. He's doing a great job with it. <laughs> the Warriors' struggles aren't helping. I went to the I'm, Warriors game on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going to Warriors games since probably 1995. Mm-hmm. That might have been the worst performance I've ever seen. It was embarrassing. Yeah. All right. That's our version of light years. Light minutes. Light minutes. Light <laughs> seconds on that one. There's not a lot to talk about with the dubs. I'm not 100% sure what to do with your rant, Chris. I've got to be totally honest with you. That's fine. I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't quite know how to respond. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't really have a lot to add. Um. Let me ask the you thing a I'm more excited. Okay. Real quick what? before you do that. Yeah. I'm excited for the post draft presser because I, I, I think we're going <laughs> to, you're not the only one with these questions. Right. Tim Kawakami in the athletic wrote a 10 reasons Mac Jones is a bad pick post. It's really good. You should read it. Not you, Chris. I know you read it, but you yeah. listener should read it. Um, I, I know that, that, uh, our, our buddy Nick Wagner has some of the same questions. ESPN's Nick Wagner, our favorite cast member, has some of the same questions you do. Um, following just any 49ers writer on social media, these questions are very prevalent in everybody's mind. So I'm excited to get answers to these questions and see if maybe, like, like you said, and like even JT O'Sullivan said, maybe there's just something we're missing that, that Shanahan's not. Okay, so my question to you, uh, if it's Mac Jones and they trade Jimmy Garoppolo, what is the baseline of a successful rookie season from Mac Jones look like? Like, what does he have to do his rookie season He has for... to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, so for the pick to be justified. Yes, that's the year bar. one. He just needs to be better than Jimmy. So what's that look like? Uh, something close to 4,000 yards. He better be completing like 70% of his throws. I mean, that's, I guess that's the whole thing is do we see all the stuff that made him this like special had to have quarterback? Is he completing 70% of his throws for 4,000 yards and they're going at nine and a half yards per attempt because he's just drilling the open guy every time and he throws 35 touchdowns and four interceptions. If he does that, great. But if it's anything below that, and I know it's irrational, and I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I know there's some there's people who are going to want to push back on this, but if he comes out and struggles, even as a rookie, and I know there are advanced stats, but I'm picking the basic box score stats right now, and he goes for 3,200 yards and 15 touchdowns and nine interceptions, that is a colossal failure. Yeah. It's... the. The position they've put themselves in, and I could be wrong, but it feels like to me the position they've put themselves in is is one where I know I know Shanahan made a big deal about not picking because of fans, and I get mm-hmm. why. Like I, I fully understand his point on that. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is when it comes to public perception of the team and the energy around the team. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt now. Yeah. You're, you're not. There, it's not going to be a bunch of Niner fans going, well, he was just a rookie. We'll see how he looks in year two. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of, of disdain, I think, and people looking for reasons to be, to be upset with the pick. And so that's why you have to step in right away and be better than Garoppolo to justify like, see, this is why we did it because this guy can help us win a Super Bowl in 2021. If he is Matt Ryan, 
I like if he has the same exact career as Matt Ryan, as as nice of a career as Matt Ryan has had, right? He he won an MVP, he went to a Super Bowl, he might not be done yet. But if if Mac Wilson or if Mac Jones, uh, I keep doing that. If Mac Jones has that career, I would consider the pick a failure. And I agree. if if Mac Jones has Drew Brees' career. As good as Drew Brees is, and he's one of the best passers of all time, and he's a Hall of Famer, and he was sort of a, a transformational figure for that franchise. One Super Bowl in 20 seasons, I just don't think would be enough, right? And I don't think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch will be given all that time. Can I... For, to Yeah, to like they're not getting 20 years. So if it's one in 20 years... You know, I know people are talking about Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. Like, if that's the, if that's where he is, if that's how he maxes out, that's not good enough because that's not beating Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I think if he, yeah, yeah, pre, um, yeah, I think I, I, I yeah, the bar for I think, me. I, is, I think I agree. I, 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 I just Drew Brees is really, really good. And I think if you've got a quarterback who's throwing for five grand a year and a bunch of touchdowns, and I, I think you start looking at other reasons the team isn't good and maybe trying to, you know, maybe the defense isn't very good or, you know, their their receivers weren't good enough. I, I, I don't think fans would put up with disappointing playoff losses every year like the Saints have had for the most part. Yeah, maybe not. Matt, let me uh, let me run this one by you. Talking about Matt Ryan. I know we were talking about Drew Brees there for a minute, but let me run Matt Ryan by you. If Matt Ryan comes out, in your opinion, you Chris, if Matt if if Mac Jones has Matt Ryan's first season under Kyle Shanahan as a rookie, he went eight and eight, sixty six point three completions, call it forty six hundred yards, twenty one touchdowns, sixteen picks, seven and a half yards per attempt. Thanks. That would be it's, bad. That wouldn't be good, good enough. No, I agree. Because the expectations to win to win the Super Bowl. This is a season in the middle of a Super Bowl window, according yes. to Kyle Shanahan. Yes, I agree. So he would be doing that. He would be rolling with the rookie quarterback while a rookie quarterback has never even appeared in a Super Bowl, trying to win the best division in football with a middling prospect relative to his peers in this quarterback class. For me, the bar is you need to take a swing and try to get a quarterback that can give you a chance against Patrick Mahomes. Full stop. Like, you have yes. to get a quarterback that you feel like, all right, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to get a guy that I can incorporate into the running game three or four times a game on third and short. And in, you know, goal to go situations where you can add an element to your offense that defenses just cannot prepare for. And the, the Chiefs did that. There were a handful of third and ones and fourth and ones in the Super Bowl where the Chiefs ran zone read and read option. Like you can't do that with Mac Jones because he is not a threat at all with his legs. And I know people talk, oh, he's an underrated athlete. Like fine, whatever. He's an underrated athlete. He can roll out and do play action and stuff like that, but he is not going to give the offense a dynamic in the running game that could ultimately define wins or losses, right? So, like, if a play breaks down, I don't care. Like, Shanahan, like, the idea that you'll you'll be fine if you just get a guy to run your system, I just find that incredibly problematic because there are smart defensive coaches out there that are going to disrupt things. The guys are not going to run the right route, right? They're, the timing's going to be off. Somebody's going to miss a block. And in those situations, you have to be able to improvise. It's mm-hmm. one thing to be able to run your scheme really, really well. And Kyle Shanahan has had quarterbacks that runs his scheme really, really well. And Kyle Shanahan has no Super Bowls to show for it. Right. If Matt Ryan could have escaped in the second half and moved the chains with his legs and threw, throw on the run like outside of the pocket and whatever – in that 28 to 3 game, maybe Kyle Shanahan won that Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator with the Falcons, and we're talking about him in a completely different light. Mm-hmm. But if he just wants somebody that to just run his offense and his offense is the most important thing, I think ultimately that could be a fatal flaw for Kyle Shanahan. And we've seen 
throughout years and years in the league that sometimes coaches struggle when it comes to develop or identifying talent and and constructing a roster, right? Kyle Shanahan is a brilliant X's and O's guy. But right now, for my money, I do not trust him to make this decision uh, to get a quarterback that's going to win them multiple Super Bowls, if particularly if the decision's Mac Jones. And what we've seen over the last four years, you know, like you're you're investing three picks on Jimmy Garoppolo's replacement a few years after you give Garoppolo a hundred and thirty seven and a half million dollar contract. So I don't give Kyle Shanahan the benefit of the doubt in knowing what quarterback to get for his system. I trust Kyle Shanahan to be to to have a lot of conviction in terms of what he likes, but mm-hmm. I do not trust Kyle Shanahan at this point to be able to identify quarterbacks if he looks at this quarterback class and decides that the best way to approach this really good, talented, deep quarterback class is to give up three first-round picks to trade up to number three to take Mac Jones when you could have just traded up to six and take Mac Jones without having to – put the pressure on Mac Jones saying, hey, you have to be better than Trey Lance and Justin Fields because we we picked you over those guys. If he picked Mac Jones after Trey Lance and Justin Fields went off the board, there's an entirely different level of pressure associated with with that decision when it comes to Kyle Shanahan and Mac Jones himself. If Mac Jones, is, if he's a starter and they trade away Jimmy Garoppolo, like it is a pressure cooker, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, I, he's super likable though. Quiz on the whiteboard. (laughs) Apparently. Very self-deprecating, I hear. Yeah. I thought it was interesting when Adam Schefter said, I I did find that video clip that you mentioned. Adam Schefter saying that, um, Trey Lance was the smartest quarterback in the class in the 49ers eyes. And one thing to that. Which makes Mac Jones thing even more confusing. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, so I'll continue ranting. <laughs> Sorry. But one thing that really stuck out to me that, that JT O'Sullivan said was processing can be a learned trait, right? Mm-hmm. So if Mac Jones is this great processor, presumably if Trey Lance is as smart as we're all led to believe he is, you could develop him and teach him to process at a very high level. He might not ever get to Mac Jones because maybe Mac Jones is Einstein and, and you know, a quarterback Einstein and we don't know it yet. But I, I think you can get there with Trey Lance if he's as smart as he's being portrayed. And ultimately, the ceiling with a player like that is just so much higher because you have that athletic skill set, you have the strong arm, and you just have a much more dynamic athlete which is more in tune with what currently wins right now in the NFL and gives you a better shot at beating Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl because that, to me, is the ultimate criteria for judging these quarterbacks. Can I eventually beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl? And I just don't think you're going to do that with Mac Jones. Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Like, the list is – and maybe eventually – maybe Deshaun Watson, maybe Justin Fields, maybe Trey Lance. Like, there's a very clear direction. And one of the things that Kyle Shanahan always talks about, like, well, first of all, he had his whole, I want the biggest, fastest, strongest, best quarterback in the pocket. Like, no, you didn't. You wanted wanted the best quarterback in the pocket. Big, fast, and strong doesn't mean anything. Like, it literally counts for nothing in the (laughs) Kyle Shanahan scale. No, no, seriously. Yeah, you're right. Like, if you're adding up points, okay, if those are the attributes, he said big, fast, strong, and good in the pocket. If those are your four attributes, Fields and Lance both grade out over those four attributes way higher than Mac Jones. Right. So that is something I take issue with that he said. The other thing is that he he said this multiple times when I asked about his quarterback evaluations and will he ever you know have a quarterback that runs and this and that. He talks about, you know, you're always changing your evaluations. And there's a bunch of different ways you can win in this league and da-da-da-da-da then he's only trying one of them. He's only yeah. trying one way to win in the in, in the NFL. And I don't understand, like, for a guy who thrives on misdirections and unpredictability and creating mismatches through, through quote-unquote, positionless football, you would think that the appeal would be there to have a, quarterback that like you said fourth and one in baltimore is a great example i can't remember if i brought this up on the last podcast or not but fourth and one in baltimore you remember that game yeah 
It's a great game. There's like six minutes left, and the 49ers have a fourth and one. They're in Ravens territory. They go for it, and Garoppolo's pass gets batted at the line, and he was throwing to George Kittle, who was covered by three guys, because everybody knew where that ball was going. Now imagine that same scenario with a quarterback who can run, and that threat is there. All the different things that now get opened in the playbook, I, again... I'm saying stuff you know. I'm saying stuff everybody listening already knows. I'm trying to talk through it, and maybe I'll run into a point that I haven't thought of yet that makes it make more sense than it does. And it's I not wanna... happening, Chris. Now you talk. <laughs> I I have a list. I have quarterbacks drafted in the first half of the first round since 2010. Oh. So in the top 16 picks. Um, listen very closely to this, this list. And let me know if you hear any Super Bowl winning quarterbacks who are like mostly, um, you know, immobile, right? Or just not that athletic. So here's the list. Sam Bradford, Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Andrew Luck, RG3, Ryan Tannehill, EJ Manuel, Blake Bortles, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, Tua, just and Justin Herbert. Any of those guys immobile pocket quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls? No, the only good quarterback there that was not a quarterback I would describe as a mobile quarterback is Andrew Luck. But even Andrew Luck was very capable of using his legs to gain yards. Yeah, and also so, the best prospect, arguably, right. of his generation, right. right? Right, big cannon. Like basically what Trevor Lawrence But is. like I said, he, he also could, even he had had an element of athleticism to his game that that uh, that factored in, so. Yeah, so they're just, like, you look at, they're just aren't any aren't any really (laughs) like there aren't any successful dudes that came in who are just pocket quarterbacks Mm -hmm. and it doesn't happen anymore it doesn't happen anymore and there it seems like they're getting phased out of the league and it's not like these dudes are, are still coming in it's like mac jones is very unique in this class in terms of the elite guys who everybody expects to be good like that it's just a concept that is that is dying out of the NFL like Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, all these guys are aging out of the league and they're right. not being replaced by pocket passers. So even if you think that Mac Jones is is going to be some elite guy like data and evidence from the last 10 years suggests that that guy is impossible to find, you need somebody like a a uh Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers type to be successful and win Super Bowls, which is your goal. Like, I feel like Mac Jones is like, all right, if we get Mac Jones, we could have a really good offense. He could be a top 10 quarterback for a long time. Maybe we win a Super Bowl if everything's perfect around him. But to me, it seems like Mac Jones is is the pick you make when you're an offensive coach and you're just like, well, I just don't want to get fired over the next four or five years because, you know, we'll, I'll have good quarterback play and maybe we'll run into some, some success, but my quarterback's not going to be elite, but not bad enough for me to get fired either. Yeah. The, the thing just to take, bring this all back to JT O'Sullivan, everything he said just sort of reaffirmed what I already thought. And maybe even more so. Great for the confirmation bias. Really good confirmation bias interview. We've actually done like 12 interviews, but we've scrapped the ones that didn't agree with our thought processes. Yeah. That's a joke. We didn't actually do that. But (laughs) I've got nothing else to say. Yeah, we've said it all. I think that's a good way to to preview the draft. I agree. Um, Appreciate everybody's support from the pod. I know Monday's episode uh, got... um, Oh, we're on the charts now, by the way. Yeah, we charted. We charted. We're the, I think it's the 81st most downloaded <laughs> sports podcast, which is, you know, 81. I'm not, I'm probably, yeah, probably not going to throw a party over that, but, uh, no. 
people people have been have been downloading the pod and saying good things and uh so I appreciate that. I appreciate everybody subscribing, rating and reviewing the uh the pod. And let me say this too. If the pick is Mac Jones and Mac Jones is awesome, we will talk about how awesome Mac Jones is. But right now given what given what our jobs are and the context provided and and all those things, um I think you and I are are well versed in in all of this type of stuff. And so it's our right. job just to, to stick to what we believe in and, and offer our opinions. So we, if that ends up being wrong, we'll, we'll eat crow and admit to being wrong and write about how awesome it was that Mac Jones overcame such, you know, right. hatred towards right. we, him before right. the draft. Like, we'll you know, we will gladly and do that if that's what happens. We love the interactions on Twitter, especially when people do the bits from the pod. That's great. We don't need to be told, like, maybe you should just wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what we're all doing. <laughs> it wouldn't be a very good podcast if we went, well, Chris, looks like they're going to take Mac Jones. Let's wait and see how it plays out. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> it's just, that's not how media works. Okay, we're going to go now. Subscribe, rate, and review if you already haven't. appreciate you guys. appreciate JT O'Sullivan. And uh, we will talk to you on the other side of the draft. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.